Oh, yeah, that's good. Even louder. Um, yeah, so thank you to Paul, because then uh, last night I realized, wait, I haven't actually sent him the slides, so he got an email from me last night, and yeah, he's still done it, so thank you. I will try to improve. I intend that every time, though, Paul, so but I'll keep trying. Okay, Luke 15, 1 to 10, the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy, in joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So I've got my, uh, my background slides between the Bible verse this week. The pictures are from Stories Jesus Told. Um, which is, does anyone have this? Any friends have this? This is a great book. Uh, it's just stories Jesus told. It's parables from the Bible, and you've got a bit of Bible. Uh, anyway, Vanessa told me to do this, so I thought, it was, it, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't my idea. Um, so that's where they're from by Nick Butterworth and Mick Inkpen. So we go to the next one. That's what you'll see in the background when I'm talking. It's not a Bible verse. Um, so I was really glad to get this passage to speak on because if it had been last week, I would have been speaking on the cost of discipleship which is challenging, isn't it, John? Um, and if it was in a couple of weeks, I'd be having to do the parable of the dishonest manager, which David has to tackle that. So I'm really grateful that more experienced men than I have, to, uh, have had to do those. Um, today, I get to speak on the heart of God for those who are lost. So, I mean, this is, this is great. Um, first, a bit of background. So here in Luke 15, we've got three bar- parables, and they communicate the same basic message. It's like three stories in one. Um, And here Luke presents them as being in response to the actions of the Pharisees. He writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And before we look at the parables, there are at least two shocking things here, which um, I want us to get. The first is that the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. They were all drawing near to him. So these are the outcasts of society, the moral failures that nobody wanted to have anything to do with. Um, sinners included people like prostitutes, people that essentially were way short of the moral expectations of the society. And tax collectors were basically national traitors who were serving, working for the Romans who had occupied the land. They're collecting taxes from their own people to give the money to the people that had kind of killed and tortured many of them and were taking away their freedom. So do two different kinds of outcasts. Now, these are the tax collectors and sinners in the Gospels is essentially this kind of catch-all term for the moral failures and outcasts. I just want to think of it like that. So it's going to look different in our society. Tax collectors, it's a different story, isn't it, here? Um, these are the kinds of people who tend to stay away from religious leaders, aren't they? Who don't want to go close. But here they are, they're all drawn in by Jesus, which is crazy. 
Sometimes Jesus can be terrifying. He says some of the hardest things in all of Scripture. But there was something about him that drew broken people in. And when you remember who Jesus is, that's staggering. He's God made human. And if you think about what the Bible says about the holiness of God, it's crazy that when God was on earth, the sinful people wanted to draw near to him. And they, when the holy God walked the earth as a man, people who would perhaps never have felt comfortable or been accepted in the synagogue or the temple, maybe a church, felt like they could approach him. And the thing that was perhaps even more shocking was that he ate with them. Today, inviting someone to eat with you doesn't carry so much weight. We do that in a lot of contexts. But in Jesus' time, it had a deeper meaning. So the pastor and theologian Tim Chester observes that table fellowship was of tremendous significance in first century Mediterranean cultures. Being invited to a meal signified deep friendship, intimacy, and unity. Jesus wasn't just putting up with people. Jesus extended genuine friendship and intimacy to the broken outcasts of society. So the first shocking thing is that when God walked the earth, sinners and outcasts wanted to be near him. And the second shocking thing is that when God walked the earth, he wanted to be near them. And the Pharisees and scribes' response to this is to grumble about it. So in a way, it's not surprising. They were the Jewish religious leaders at the time. They were like the moral elite. They knew the Torah by memory, first five books of the Bible. A lot of people probably, you know, we get stuck somewhere in the middle there and think, oh, this is really hard to read. They knew them word for word. They'd worked their socks off to keep all the rules that the tax collectors and sinners had routinely broken. And because of their working hard to keep all these rules and their obedience, they were in the center. They were at the top of the pyramid. They were in the center of the circle and they had status. And Jesus flips all this on its head by inviting the people that are on the outside because of their failure and their lack of effort to keep all the rules onto the inside. And it threatens the Pharisees and scribes' status. The Pharisees and scribes had a religion that was about self-effort and law-keeping. They strove to satisfy God's demands for righteousness through their own attempts to keep the law. We call this legalism sometimes. It's a trap that many of us fall into, in my case, repeatedly, perhaps for a lot of us. Uh, we live legalistically when we try to be right with God through our own efforts at holiness. Um, there's lots of reasons why legalism is so entrenched. One is just pride in our hearts, right, that we just think we can do it. Um, but another one is that it's all, all the best lies contain a lot of truth. And the, the big, I think for me when I've reflected on it, the big truth in legalism is that God wants us to become holy. God desires us for us to become holy. So when we're talking about grace, we're not talking about God doesn't care about what we do. The truth is that God wants us to become holy like him. But the lie is that we achieve this primarily through our own efforts at holiness and obedience. So it's like we aim at the right destination but we take the wrong path. Have you ever been in a situation where you kind of know where you're going and it looks like there's a path? If you look at it, it looks like it goes straight ahead to where you're going. But actually, you can't see all the way down the path. It turns off and it goes somewhere else. Sometimes there's a path that looks like it's going the wrong way. And somebody's saying to you on the map, possibly your spouse, we need to go this way. And you're going, no, it's obviously this way. 
But actually, the longer, more circuitous path is the one that takes us the right way. So legalism promises this direct route to holiness, but it's a lie. We won't get there. Grace looks like it's going the wrong way, but we'll get there. The results of legalism often include guilt, shame, and anxiety. Has everyone, anyone experienced those emotions? Just me? Me and Mick. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's good that we're the two people. Uh, because we repeat, repeatedly fail to live up to God's standards. But conversely, when we do seem to be doing well, we can become judgmental, critical, and proud. We see that in the Pharisees and the, ta- and the, the, uh, the scribes, don't we? Legalistic religions about earning and deserving... And because it's about earning and deserving, it can easily lead to grumbling. Here the Pharisees and scribes grumble because Jesus is turning the religious order and social order upside down by drawing in the outcasts. Grumbling is a symptom of a legalistic mind. That is, a mind that thinks of things in terms of who deserves what. Shows that we haven't understood how much we've been given freely by the grace of God and what we actually deserve. So when I grumble about something that's happening at work or in my family or at church, it suggests that I think I deserve better. But the truth is, as someone that has just routinely sinned against the goodness of God, I don't deserve to have a job or a family, let alone to be part of God's people, the church. It's right to stand up to injustice, so we're not saying here, never criticize anything. But people who understand grace are characterized by gratitude, not grumbling. Jesus' response to religious leaders grumbling is to tell them three parables which contain the same central message about the heart of God. It's kind of one story in three versions. Bob is going to be doing the kind of longest and most famous story next week, so I'm going to briefly look at the first two. The first one is a story about a shepherd who's lost a sheep. I'll just read it again. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So many of us will know this story, and we know that the key point is that uh, God's heart is for the lost sheep. Heaven rejoices more over the sinner who repents than the 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. This doesn't mean that he doesn't care about the 99, but that he loves his sheep so much that recovering the lost one brings him the greatest joy. Um, I think what we often miss when reading the Gospels, certainly me, is how much of what Jesus says and does echoes and fulfills the Old Testament. So uh, I really have this sense because Jesus' listeners um, would have known the Old Testament better than we do, many of them. I feel like there would have been these kind of images and things going on in the background for them as he was speaking, that it would have jogged their minds. I think one of the things that it might have made them think of is Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 6. Ezekiel was a prophet, someone that spoke the word of God to God's people. Um, It was several centuries before Jesus. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool. 
You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So the shepherds that are referred to here are the leaders of Israel in Ezekiel's time. Uh, instead of, and the sheep are the people. So instead of feeding the sheep and caring for them, the shepherds have eaten and exploited them. So God rebukes them really strongly here. And later he says that he will rescue his sheep from them. So let's think about what this means, the kind of the potentially message in there as Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees about how a shepherd should respond to the sheep. The scribes and Pharisees are among the leaders of God's people at Jesus' time. Um, It seems like Jesus might be hinting that they are like the leaders that God was speaking to through Ezekiel. They don't care about the well-being of the flock. Instead, the weak they have not strengthened, the sick they have not healed, the injured they have not bound up, the strayed they have not brought back, the lost they have not sought, and with force and harshness they have ruled them. So this kind of meeting might help us to understand why some of the things that Jesus said so enraged the Pharisees and and to the point where they would uh, want to kill him. But also, if Jesus' parable does echo Ezekiel 34, among other passages, then it also points to his identity as the Messiah. That's God's chosen savior. If we think about it, the religious leaders grumble against Jesus because he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus tells them a story about a shepherd going out to rescue a lost sheep. If the lost sheep here represent the tax collectors and sinners, then Jesus would seem to be the shepherd, right? Are we on board with that? Does that seem like, seem like a reasonable interpretation um, or kind of poss- possible conclusion? Going out to them to bring them home. So in Ezekiel 34, though, the shepherd that will bring in the lost sheep of Israel will be God himself. Verses 11 to 16 read, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own lands. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing lands. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So I think this parable hints at the fact that Jesus is God himself come to shepherd his people in justice and in kindness. In the Gospel of John, Jesus actually says, you will know, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Jewish religious leaders failed to care for the sheep, so God said that he would come to care for his flock himself. And in the person of Jesus, he did that. Many people have suffered at the hands of self-interested religious leaders who have exploited and savaged their flocks instead of feeding and caring for them. This isn't just religion. People are regularly exploited by a vast array 
of leaders from political figures through to celebrities, through to influences, who are just about trying to get stuff from their sheep. Jesus isn't like that. If you have ever experienced something like that or seen it around in the world, the answer is not to ditch the idea of being shepherded altogether and to strike out on your own. Think about it. You're a sheep. You'll die. Sheep don't survive on their own. They get lost and they die. The solution is not to go out on your own, but to come to the true good shepherd who does not exploit the sheep, but lays down his life for them. Or rather, to let him come to you and rescue you. Where you are, in the dark, on the edge of a precipice that leads nowhere good. But actually, we all need this, not just people that have suffered at the hands of leaders in the world. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We were made to be shepherded by God, whom the Apostle Peter calls the shepherd and overseer of our souls. But we've gone astray and we've become lost. So I want to know about why sheep got lost. I saw an illustration online about a cow getting lost, and I thought that's just too many metaphors. Um, so I then Googled um, why the sheep get lost. So I found SavvyFarmLife.com. Does anyone visit that website regularly? <laughs> yeah, Mick will. No, probably not in Hanbei. Um, SavvyFarmLife.com suggests four main reasons why they may stray. Uh, I'd just like to highlight here, once I get into kind of reasons that sheep may stray, I'm using this as an analogy, I'm getting outside the interpretation of the passage in the Bible, and we're just doing some kind of pastoral application, all right? I'm not saying that Jesus is, you know, means us to read all of these things into it, but I think it's interesting, okay? Um, so sheep might stray because they are frightened, something spooks them, because they are curious, because that's what the leaders of the herd are doing, so they're flock animals. Sheep are essentially defenseless, they can run, but that's about it. They're a meal on legs, aren't they? Um, and so, I'm sure I heard that somewhere else. Um, so they, they herd together, they're flock animals, um, because that's their best defense. But sometimes they do get, so their natural instinct is to flock together. Um, and there are leaders in the flock, so they follow the leaders of the flock. However, sometimes they become frightened and bolt. Sometimes they're curious and just wander off to look at something. Um, and sometimes, I think this is my favorite one, because they are not paying attention while grazing. So they're just kind of like, eat, walk a bit, eat, and then they, yeah. Um, so at this point, yeah, it's not, this is, this is not, I don't think that Jesus is meaning us to read into like, which kind of sheep are you? I don't think that's it. But I think maybe there's some stuff that could be a, a useful application. Um, we can often get lost and stray spiritually for the same sorts of reasons. So if we go through them, because they are frightened. Um, maybe there's someone here among us where you thought at, at some point something spooked you in the church. Just something made you go, ah, oh, I don't like this. And you just ran away from religion. You ran away from God. You thought, it's not for me. Maybe for a lot of us, you got curious. Just something in the world. You just thought, oh, just that drew your attention. Just drew you away from the thing that was being in the flock. Just something kind of glittery and sparkly. I'm not, I don't know what sheep are curious about, but you get curious. You wander off. Um, Perhaps some people, uh, you've just been following others around you or influential cultural figures that you look up to. You've never really questioned where they're leading you. There's so many messages through media. I mean, we watch so many hours of media and stuff so each day, and these messages just come in. And you just think, yeah, of, of course, this is right, this is right, this is right. What if some of those things aren't right? 
Or maybe you've just been seeking to satisfy some sort of inner hunger and you've just been chewing and chewing on whatever you think will satisfy you. And you haven't lifted your head up and looked around long enough to realize where you've ended up. So you chew, walk a bit, chew, walk a bit, chew, walk a bit. And then suddenly you look around and you realize, actually, I'm, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. Whatever the details, we've all wandered off from the shepherd of our souls and we've got lost. And this is true whether or not you feel it. Um, often when you get lost, there's a point where you haven't yet realized actually what's happened. You follow the way that seems right to you, and at some point it dawns on you that you're mistaken. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Not everything that seems right to us intuitively is right. And in a world where it tells us about to kind of follow what you feel feels true to you within, it's a really dangerous message, isn't it? There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And that's the problem, because death is the ultimate destination of the sheep that gets lost if it doesn't get found quick enough. The Bible gives us the bad news that our spiritual condition is essentially being exposed on the side of a hill. The clouds are coming in. It's cold. The wind's picking up. And night is falling. And what's going to happen when night falls? Are we still going to be lost out there? However, the Bible also gives us the good news that Jesus is the good shepherd who will rescue and restore us if we will let him. He comes out into the chill of the night to find us, puts us on his shoulder, and takes us back to the flock where we'll be safe, nourished, and cared for. If you recognize a lostness today, if there's anyone in here, I think, uh, then... You can turn to your shepherd. You can turn to the good shepherd and ask him to bring you home. Might be someone in here who feels, lo- feels lost but finds it hard to believe that Jesus would want to come and get you. That maybe you've gone too far. You're too damaged or perhaps you're just not important or valuable enough to be worth the trouble. And I think we've probably all met people like that that feel like that. The parable of the lost coins says otherwise. All of the coins are equally valuable. All human beings are inherently precious in God's sight. God sees the sheep as a sheep and the coin as a coin. He doesn't see the sheep as the lostness. And he doesn't see the coin as the dust and the dirt and the bit of chewing gum that's stuck to it. He sees you as a precious human being made in his image, whom he wants to redeem. Sin dehumanizes us. We're made in God's image, and when we sin... It's dehumanizing. But whatever you've been involved in, God sees you, he values you, he wants to bring you back home, and he wants to restore you. And that's true for people who are lost, who've never come into the flock. But but it can also be true in a way for us as Christians that we wander and we get caught up in stuff and God wants to bring us back in to the fold. For those of us who would say we're already back in the flock, um, and I am sort of, you know, drawing near to the end here if anyone's alarmed, uh, there's, I think, a few points of application. Because as I'm speaking now, I think I'm looking around the room, and I'm not speaking to lots of people that are, I'm I'm sort of preaching the gospel, but I'm not speaking to lots of people who are are not saved, that we're speaking to, um, speaking to Christians, predominantly at least. Um, If you've been trying to live faithfully, perhaps for years, then know that the parables are not saying that the lost are 
more valuable, that you are less valuable than those who are currently lost. Because notice what I said, the coins are all the same value. Jesus isn't saying that good people, faithful people are worth less. He's also not saying that they're worth more. All the coins are equally valuable. All the sheep are equally significant. But finding the one that is lost is what brings the greatest joy. The ultimate goal, though, is for all the sheep to become part of the flock and remain under the tender care of the shepherds. So, um, you know, we, we can be kind of, sometimes people can kind of yearn for these kind of great testimonies of kind of being lost in this dramatic way and brought in. But you know, the point isn't the testimony ultimately. The point is to be in the flock. So if you're in the flock, then stay where you are. Don't go anywhere and be grateful that God's brought you in. Secondly, know that when you wander, Jesus' shepherd heart wants to bring you back. If you have been wandering, don't wallow in guilt and self-pity, imagining that Jesus is standing far off with a scowl on his face waiting to punish you, or at the very least give you a really long lecture and some extra chores to do. He isn't grumbling and muttering like a Pharisee. He's not like a Pharisee. He's searching for you like a shepherd. Don't take the path of legalism and try to hike your way back. You won't make it like that. Let him pick you up and submit to his care. Uh, third point, I think, that I want to say is perhaps pray for the Father to change your heart so you become more like Jesus, the good shepherd. Maybe you don't need this, but I need this. So if you don't need to pray for your own heart, just pray for mine. That would be great. Or yours and mine. That, that, that would really help. Because um, I know that I can too often just be coolly indifferent. Maybe I'm not grumbling like the Pharisees. You know, if somebody came in to the church and we welcomed them there sooner, I'd be pleased about that. But often I'm just coolly indifferent. Um, I'm more like Jonah, you know, at the end of the book of Jonah, where he's got the vine and, and all of Nineveh's just been saved from being destroyed. And then God gives him this vine to bring him shade and takes the vine away. And he's more angry about losing the vine that's bringing him shade than he is happy that Nineveh's been saved. He's also angry that Nineveh's been saved, but that's a different, different thing. But, um, you know, I just think often that's my life. You know, I'm more concerned about amusements and sports. Yesterday, I was more worked up about how badly my fantasy football went than about the floods in Pakistan. Like that's, you know, that, that kind of thing. And I, we, in, a media, in this kind of media-rich world, or saturated world. Sometimes it is too much, all the global news stories. We can't react to everything. But I, I think, yeah, too often day to day, I'm just thinking about my own comforts. I'm not actually that motivated. So um, that's confession. You guys can pray for me. Um, and I know that I can also be judgmental and grumbling like the Pharisees. You know, like God saved me from my sin and given me all this stuff that I don't deserve. And then somebody acts in a way that I don't like or, I, you know, whatever. And I'm just, oh, they shouldn't have acted like that. So I think the, the final sort of, we'll come right to the end here, but the, the final question I want to think about is, um, for us as a, from this, for us as a church, what kind of community do we want to be? And this is good for any church. So this isn't a, I'm not kind of like dogged on Beacon and saying terrible church. So I'm part of this church. Um, but I think for any church, read this parable, read the Pharisees' response, read what Jesus says. What kind of community do we want to be? Um, notice, did anyone notice the contrast? Um, that the Pharisees grumbled together. 
And then there are two other situations in that passage where people gathered together. What were the two other situations where people gathered together in the, those, in, it was in the parables? Oh, yeah, well, more then. Sorry, Linda. I wasn't thinking of that one, but that's true. That's extra gathering together. Yeah. <laughs> you ruined my point, Linda. No, not really. <laughs> that was a joke. That's a good one. Yeah, so but that's Jesus gathering together in a, it, joyfully. And it, it, look, it goes with the, um, the, in the parables. The shepherd, when he finds the sheep, calls his friends and says, let's celebrate. And the woman calls her friends and says, let's celebrate. So you've got the Pharisees grumbling together. You've got Jesus eating with the lost, which is like that gathering together and let's celebrate. And I guess we've also got heaven, haven't we? There's more rejoicing in heaven. So you've got the, the legalistic, effort-based religion of the Pharisees where they grumble together. And then you've got heavenly rejoicing on the other hand. And so do we want to be a grumbling community or a joyful one? You know, that, that church where, and I'm, I'm not saying this is what we are, but I think it's a danger for every church. That church where we become so obsessed with the kind of details of kind of the politics within the church and the kind of how things are running. And is Sunday morning just to my liking? And I didn't really like the way that that person spoke last week. And all these kind of things that we get so into these details that we're a grumbling community. If we live in judgmental legalism like the Pharisees, we'll be grumblers, and the sinners and tax collectors of our society probably won't feel invited in to join the flock. They probably won't come to church in the first place, and if they do, they'll feel judged. Are we willing to have people come in and not behave properly in church? I think, yeah, but I, I think the Archaeosophy's a beacon is hopefully like, yes. And um, also, this is just, you know, you guys, many of you, perhaps even most of you, have better hearts than me on this one. So there's absolutely nothing I'm saying here is like, are you guys? <laughs> but I think they're good questions. Um, are we going to be able to welcome people in without quickly trying to change their behavior? You know, if they come in and behave in a way that doesn't kind of suit how we want or we think, are we going to quickly jump in and try and correct them? We're we going to love them and fellowship with them. There is a place for working on behavior. Um, would be we willing to welcome outcasts to the point where it makes us less popular with other sections of society? And I think with the Pharisees, would we be willing to welcome people even if it kind of affects our own position and status within the, you know, within the church? Um, if we want to be a church that is full of heavenly joy, we will need to be a church that welcomes home lost sinners. The most joyful church is not the church that has all its theological ducks in order, or even the church where everybody shares spiritual gifts each week in meetings and goes home encouraged, though those are great things and important things. The most joyful church is a church that regularly sees the lost sheep return home and the tarnished image of God restored in the people that he has made. So I'm going to pray for us, and then Mick will probably magically appear to lead the rest, or Steve will, I don't know, somebody will magically appear. Thanks for listening.
Father, um, just you know that I um, can be guilty of grumbling, can be guilty of being more concerned about trivial things or than uh, the lost sheep, um, can be more concerned about my kind of position and status like the Pharisees than the, the things that really matter. And just pray for me and I pray for um, my brothers and sisters in the church here. Just ask that you would um, increasingly give us your heart. Pray that you would give us uh, your heart that would be like you, that it'd be easy to go off the back of this and then try really hard to be like you. Where that's just the path of legalism. We don't want to go down the path of legalism. We want to go down the path of love. Ultimately, obedience is love. Um, love produces obedience. We love because you first loved us. Just pray you'd help all of us to know this morning, you know, that love of the shepherd, um, but that it would lead us out. Um, and that you would also help us to see how to go with this practically, Father. Um, it's easy to have a sense of, oh, I should change. But I just pray that you'd help us to see the little steps. Thank you that you are a good shepherd. You lead us at a pace that we can do. You lead us in ways that are good for us. And just pray for each person here, with including me. Just pray you would help us to see what other little steps we take. Who are the people that we need to just smile at rather than look the other way? Who's the person that we need to say hello to or that we need to invite over for dinner? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Amen.